Coming to you live from a paper cup inside a public restroom, it is the Card Chronicle podcast, and we're back with the, I guess technically the first in-season episode of the 2020-2021 Louisville Athletics season. Mike Rutherford here with Danny Snarr. We're going to talk mostly about the, uh, the the WKU game from Saturday night. We were hoping to do this podcast a little bit earlier in the week, but what can we say? The Reds got hot. Uh, we got distracted. The Reds are going to win the World Series, so we're uh, coming to you on a Wednesday. But Dan, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it takes everything in my might not to turn this into a Reds podcast right now with being a half game out of the playoffs. But um, in all seriousness, I'm excited to talk about the game on Saturday. It was a, it was a nice start to the season, and I'm glad that football is back. So the Cards win 35-21, and we're going to start with this. I've got to start with this um, because this is a podcast that values honesty above everything else. There's an actual reason, but I've got to ask you, Dan. So, oh no, you you didn't get to watch. You've watched it since, but you missed the first quarter of the game. What ex- what were you doing to miss the first quarter, the first hour of a Louisville sporting event in six months? What kept you away? So, and I mean, we discussed this um, the next morning, which is not something I like to admit over the airwaves of our loyal listeners. But for some reason, every first football game of the year and it's not like this every game it's always the first game of the year somehow I'm overserved, uh, if that's a nice way of putting it but um I actually we went to dinner like a nice dinner for my wife's birthday and the plan was to be back to watch the game um at kickoff at eight well a couple things happened first off out of all days, my internet goes out. Our TV is hooked up to the internet. We're a YouTube TV family. Um, and this happened like right before we left. So we're kind of scrambling anyways, um, you know, trying to get this fixed before we walk out the door um, as we leave our grandkids behind with um, my parents. Didn't get it fixed. We got out to dinner a little bit late. Dinner ran a little bit long. And you know, I'm checking, I'm trying to be respectful to my wife. It's her birthday and I don't want to watch the game while we're at dinner. Um, but we ended up having to, you know, hurry up, get our bill. And then we headed to like a a local patio and met my parents out and watched, um, you know, the second quarter through the end of the game. So, uh, I, I did, I, I, the only play I actually watched on my phone was the, botch snap the uh the lupo fiasco but besides that um you know we we did get to watch the game but not in the environment that i would like and the next morning the game was a little fuzzy i had to go back and rewatch it just to kind of remember what happened my favorite thing now about like kind of getting older so we have we've had the same L guys text group for i mean years now and like back in the day six seven eight years ago if we had a game at eight o'clock, we'd be texting each other like all day. Like, it's fucking go cards. Like I'm so like, we're just, like pumped up the entire time. And then because we've, you know, so many like you have moved, um, Weber's in Dallas, like a bunch of our mm-hmm. friends are all across the country. We just like would text throughout the game. Now all of us have at least one kid. I think me and one other guy are the only people that have only one kid. They don't have more. And like, like almost every single game, there's one of us that is awfully quiet. And it just like like mysteriously quiet during the game, and it's the most obvious thing in the world. I don't know why one of us doesn't come out and be like, "Hey guys, just so you know, 
I'm not going to be around for the game tonight. Because then like, it's like, oh, we've sent a billion texts. One person hasn't responded to any of these texts. And it's just the most obvious thing in the world that you know people are getting tied up. Times have changed, and we're getting older. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm embarrassed that I, I missed the first quarter. I mean, I consider myself a loyal fan. So not something I really wanted to admit in front of everyone. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I did go back and watch it. But still, not from a fan standpoint, not the way you want to start the season. The reason why I felt like we had to start on that note is because last podcast, you and I were talking about, you know, how we're going to try to go into this game with like this mentality of, you know, they may not play great, but boy, it's sure fun just to be watching the cards again. And we kind of knew that, you know, 10 minutes into the game, we're going to be yelling about a drop pass or yelling about a flag or something. Turns out it didn't even take that long. Uh, it was, <laughs> I mean, a solid minute and a half into the first Louisville sporting event in six months. And all of us are losing our fucking minds because one, the first play of the game is called back because of a holding penalty. That was a nice little throwback to like 2017, but that stalls the drive. The next three plays are, are totally bunk. The offense doesn't do anything. And then in his first appearance, this poor Lupo kid, just ball goes through right through his hands. He gets destroyed. WKU gets the ball on the one. They score their first play, uh, first offensive play of the game. And all of a sudden we're down 7 nothing. And like everybody, that mentality of like, boy, it's sure swell just to be back doing this again, is just completely out the fucking window, right out of the game. We're all making the same jokes about how we didn't even want sports back. It was, in a weird way, and I wrote this yesterday on my recap post on Card Chronicle, in a weird way, it was almost nice because it just kind of jarred you back into reality. We've talked so much for the last few months about how weird everything feels, and even the lead-up to the game on Saturday felt weird. And you know, if you were at the stadium, it was so different with you know only 11,000 fans or, or whatever there. Like That moment kind of jolted me back into my – the fandom that I've known for 35 years now. And in a weird way, I thank Lupo for doing that because it put me in the proper mindset for the rest of the game. No, you're exactly right. And that's why college football is, it's to me, it's so much different. And, um, you know, comparing it from excitement levels, I, it's, it's so much more unpredictable than the NFL. Um, and one of the main reasons why is special teams, just because it can be such a crapshoot. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and I mean, credit to Scott Satterfield because he said going into the game, you know, the one thing he was worried about was the special teams. Now I didn't think he thought his punter was going to drop a snap that hit him directly in the numbers, but, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, not the start they wanted, but it was nice to see him rebound from that. Yeah, poor Logan Lupo just, I mean, has that moment, which is, is bad because there's nobody you can blame that on. It goes right through your hands. And then uh, he, he gets one punt off effectively. And then his third punt, he, and it, there's no clarity. I don't know if Satterfield talked about it all this week. There's no clarity on exactly whose fault it was, but he punts directly into the one yeah. that's rushing <laughs> <laughs> and then gets destroyed. Like the slow mo replay, his helmet goes right into like if it's not his crotch, it's his upper right thigh. He gets hammered, and then nobody can corral the ball. So of course it goes right to him, and he gets tackled by like four guys again. It was awful. And then the cameras catch him trying to explain himself to uh, to fans in the crowd, saying that it wasn't his fault. And like the announcer just ripping his ass. I mean that was he's a a fairly highly touted kicker coming out of high school. I think he was the number nine rated kicker in the country coming out of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas in Florida. I don't know how he ended up being a punter, but Scott Satterfield seemed to have a lot of faith in him. But 
man, that was it, it was bad. There, there's no yeah. way. And, and I don't want to bag on the kid because it's his first game. I'm sure he's going to do good things here. So um, but my favorite part was he, like after the first one, when he dropped it, as he was running back to the sidelines, he was like rubbing his hands together, like like <laughs> basically it was hands fault. But then on the second one. Uh, when he ran, you know, like I said, directly into the defender and got it blocked. When he was running back to the sidelines, he was rubbing his hands again, and I was like, "Well, I don't think, I don't think that was the reason that you actually." But on the second punt, um, gosh, for, when block punts happen, it turns into like a yakety sacks moment in the yeah. backfield. Like the guy who missed the block, I can't remember, like ninety-one, like picks up the ball and it just gets like jarred loose and he's rolling on the ground, but. Um, I mean, we're, we're harping on like the, the two worst moments of the game, but all in all, um, you know, it, it, it was a good showing by them. Let's talk about, uh, I think we'll start by saying this, like we got up to such a bad start and it wasn't just the fact that you know, WKU goes up seven, nothing Louisville gets the ball back and their first two plays totally stall again. They're looking like they're going to, I think it's third and 16. It looks like. Louisville's going to give the ball back to Western Kentucky in a position where their Hilltoppers would have a good shot at going to scores. And I think at that moment, we're all kind of panicking a little bit just because it's not like this was a season opener against EKU or Murray State or an FCS team. You know, Western won nine games a year ago. The point spread was only 10.5 or, or 11, somewhere around there. And if you're spotting a team like that with an All-American defensive end, a couple of scores right at the beginning of the game, and you've got some new offensive linemen and a punter who's rattled and all this stuff, it's uh, it's kind of it's, it's a concerning moment, no question. And so I think the biggest play of the game was that third down throw on the, the first series of the second drive where Mikel Cunningham goes deep to Braden Smith for the first time. Uh, I, I think that really set the tone. A minute later, we've got a touchdown pass to Ian Pfeiffer, and from that point forward, we never really relinquished the momentum again. So I, I think if you're pointing at things to be encouraged about for the rest of the year, one, Mikel Cunningham is throwing a fantastic deep ball again. Two, this Braden Smith kid, the hype of the offseason was justified. And because you have a like a 5'10 burner who's your third receiver, I think it's going to force opposing defenses to not be as focused on Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick as they'd probably like to be because Smith can torch you. He made a bunch of big plays. He's the first Louisville receiver since Deion Branch to have over 100 yards receiving in his first game. So those were the two things that I think really stood out as long-term positives. If you're taking one big thing away from this game that makes you feel really good about the rest of the year, what do you point to? Yeah, I would say the emergence of Braden Smith. He looks like he might be uh, something special, like you said. Um, gosh, I just I, I love how uh, Mikhail threw the ball. I mean, he's got such a nice deep ball. Um, I mean, the throw to him, I know the one to Fitzpatrick later in the game, that was, I guess you could say, a little up for grabs since their safety was like waiting on it and does kind of, you know, skirted in there. But the two throws just on that drive to Braden and then the Pfeiffer were about as good of throws as you could have. Um, their, but safety, no. but their safety looked like me in flag football. Like, I couldn't <laughs> – like, nobody could ever tell me, like, you have to run to the ball. I would always wait for it to come to me, and, like, a receiver would run right in front of me and grab it. Like, that was my big thing when I was – like, that's what he looked like, right? He looked like a center fielder who taken a bad route on the ball and wasn't going to have his momentum coming towards it. It was – he made two really bad – place that really really helped us yeah and i mean and we talked about this the next day um not to jump away from the question but 
that game could have gone either way with, with a couple plays from each team. I mean, obviously Louisville had the the special teams blunder, plus Mikel getting you know racked up in the uh, uh, in the end zone there. But um, it, luckily we fell on it at the one yard line. But I mean, Western had the long bomb that was that was stripped out of their hands, and, and their quarterback. I know he missed a couple throws, especially that fourth down throw in the end zone there. So. Um, I mean, the game could have gone either way, but if you're looking for an overall positive, I, I kind of agree with you. I think it's the fact that it looks like we even have more toys on offense to play with. And with someone like Scott Satterfield calling the plays, I, I think, you know, in the long run, he's going to you know learn how to use those ones to his advantage. Yeah, there are two types of Louisville fans. There's the, the Louisville fan who says... <laughs> Look, if we just have two normal punts, two two punts that don't have total disasters involved in them, we it's a route. We win this game like 42 to seven or something like that. And then you've got the Louisville fan who says, if their safety makes you know two easy plays, it's anybody's game in the fourth quarter. I, the truth is probably somewhere in between, which is why 35-21 is probably an accurate final score for this game. But I tend to be more on the half glass full side, at least when it comes to this game. I thought Louisville looked good not great there are clearly areas where they, they have to get a little bit better but McKay, I mean you've got a great quarterback you've got extreme weapons on the outside you've got a loaded backfield and Javion Hawkins really didn't even get off in this game but Hassan Hall had six carries for 66 yards uh, McHale ran the ball fairly effectively the offensive line that, that's kind of been another talking point the last few days like to the untrained eye which I'm talking about myself I thought they were like they looked okay solid not great and then pro football focus comes out and grades them as the best performing offensive line uh, of week one so i again maybe the truth is somewhere in between there maybe they were just fantastic but the defense looked improved like we were hoping under brian brown they didn't let gage walker go off they didn't let uh terrell pigram really go off with his legs i i think overall like if if you felt like this was an eight or nine win team going into saturday night I don't see how you feel any differently. I, I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah, and I think it's a testament to to the coaching staff, especially um, Satterfield, just kind of how poised they look. I mean, with other teams, other Cardinal teams in the past, if we would have had that, you know, botch punt, go down 7 nothing, you know, we already had a penalty, it, it, it would have seemed like either A, you know, we were destined to lose that game or, or sure. B, we were going to be like in a dogfight. But the team just kept their composure. And, I, I, you know, I think they know what they're capable offensively. And, you know, credit to them after that, they put their foot on the gas. And before you know it, we were in complete control of the game, it seemed like. Um, so I, I think just the mindset of the players you can just tell is, is different, um, from maybe past coaching staffs that we have. No, it's a real good point. I, I feel like with Bobby Petrino coach teams, even the good ones, like, like not just saying 2018, but even the good Petrino teams, if they came out and had a start, like the one that we saw Saturday night, you immediately got this sense of dread, like something terrible happened in practice or like the staff was looking ahead to somebody else. You get, you felt like you did in that South Florida game in, tw- in 2005, where it just inexplicably they go down there and just get their shit kicked in for four quarters by a like very average USF team. Like whenever they got off to those types of starts, something was wrong with this staff and with this group of players. Like 
even when we got down, even when it was a little bit concerning on that second drive, you still felt like long term they were going to be good because we saw them bounce back so many times last year. And Satterfield doesn't really get too high or too low. And I think the rest of the coaching staff is that exact same way. So I, I think that's a, a, a really good point. There's no panic with this program, and with this team anymore. The other thing that I kind of wanted to get into, we talked about how normal it felt seeing a terrible mishap early in the game. It also felt really normal to get back to making fun of the ACC network. We have to talk at least a little bit about the announcing and the commercials. They always draw a huge buzz. But I think the fact that they're the one thing that hasn't been changed by the last six months, the advertising on the ACC network, it was comforting. It was comforting to to see a billion commercials for Alien Tape, to see that tack razor, the uh, shaving in a pool, like all that stupid shit. It was I know the products were different than what we saw in basketball and last football season, but it felt good to be back. It felt good to be making fun of the ACC Network commercials again. Yeah, now I got to be honest. Um, like I said, I, I watched the the last half of the game at a bar, so I wasn't able to hear the commercials. Plus, I watched like the the game, you know, on YouTube without the commercials. But um, I did when I rewatched the game get to listen to my boy Tim Hasselback and. He uh, he was really trying to land some of those jokes, and they were <laughs> it was absolute crickets for literally all of them. But um, do want to give a shout out to Eric Wood. I thought uh, he uh, he he did great um, in his ACC Network debut. There um, looked great, suit looked great. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the commercials go, I mean, I know what they were during basketball season, so I, I believe every word that you say. I found that like. The- because everybody's like, is this this annoy you? Do you think it's funny? The way that I handle the commercials is directly related to how the game's going. Like, like on on Saturday night, like we're up thirty five fourteen, and I'm like, man, yeah, everybody's tweeting about Alien Tape. This shit's hilarious. Like, I'm having a good time. Like, we're losing to Josh Pastor and Georgia Tech in basketball, and I'm like, if I see one more ad for this goddamn perfect brownie pan i'm gonna cut my left leg off and i'm never watching basketball again like that's it's it's funny it's all fun and games it's adorable when your team's playing well when they're not playing well it's awful and the thing about hasselbeck and roy philpot who i think was the play-by-play guy i don't know how much of this you got to catch since you were watching the game at a bar for first of all philpot mixed up every name on the roster at least 15 times like I, i think on I'd say 65% of our run plays, he mixed yeah. up John Hawkins and Hassan I, I Hall. Did, I did hear that. I'm like, all so right, bad. that's like the third one. I mean, yeah, he's like, Hall the carry. I'm like, no, he's a solid four inches taller. But the best the, the best fuck-up of the entire game was uh, Terrell Pigram, which, by the, another aside, cool. Like, you know that his nickname is Piggy T. You don't need to call him that every single day. He's like, Piggy on the carry. I'm like, god damn it. Oh, god. But... Uh, <laughs> Like, Pigram had scrambled on a, uh, on a second and ten and picked up, like, five yards. And he's like, Pigram probably, maybe should have gotten out of bounds there, but it will be enough to move the change for a first down Western Kentucky. And as he's saying that, in the background, the new Louisville PA guy is doing this third down thing that he's got. He's like, <laughs> I love his new third down, like, by the way. I, I, it's I it's incredible. But literally, like, Phil Pot goes, and that's at least it's going to be enough to move the change. First down, Western Kentucky. And the guy in the back, I was like, it's third down. Like, yeah, <laughs> he really gets into it. And, like, when we have fans in the stadium, that thing's going to hit hard. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, everybody who was there that I talked to kind of said the same thing. Like, it was weird 
and a little bit unnerving to not hear Sean Moth. By the way, Sean Moth, big fan of the pod. We love you. We miss you. Excited to hear you call baseball games again this this spring. They said it was weird to not hear Sean, but the guy did a pretty good job. And and I feel like when you're replacing a really familiar voice, when you're you're filling a void like that, that's about the highest compliment you can be paid because it's everybody wants what they're familiar with. Everybody wants what they're comfortable with. And hearing a different voice, a different cadence, and some different taglines is going to be weird. But as long as it's not universally hated, you're probably going to be okay long term. And it seemed like people were were pretty happy with the job that this uh, Michael Latin guy did. Yeah, and I think if I'm and correct me if I'm wrong, I, I still think he kept the cards first down thing going. Um, if I'm wrong about that, I apologize. I, I thought think I heard, did, that. but it was a little bit different. I, I think okay. it wasn't necessarily the whole thing, but it, there was something. He did something like that that kept it going. Gotcha. And like exactly like you said. I mean, Sean Moth, uh, Louisville legend, um, you know, we do miss him. Uh, but sometimes it, it, it's it's nice just to kind of have a new voice in there. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure this guy is going to be good. But like you said, the one thing I did notice was the third down call. And like just watching it, you know, on my TV, I was like, ooh, kind of like this guy. So I like um, a lot. I, I, we need something to kind of besides the – Piano riff from Van Halen or whatever the hell that they've been doing that's been talked about every single year. Hey, what's the third down music be, Dan? Uh, let's talk about it. No, we're not going to do that. That's the It's the laziest radio topic in the world. You scared me. I was like, do we really have to get into this right no, now? Yeah, I, I will yeah. never, as long as I don't have to go back on radio ever again, I will never talk about third down music again. I, I will avoid that topic like the plague. Uh, let's talk about the, the defensive side of the ball. I thought Louisville did a really, really good job for the most. I mean, when you have three scoring drives from Western Kentucky and two of them were sub five yard drives. And this was a game that, that Louisville easily could have held WKU to single digits in scoring. They didn't let Gage Walker really do anything. He only had nine carries for 19 yards. Pigram got loose a couple of times with his legs, but couldn't do anything through the air. Um, you had a, like a really good push. That was the biggest complaint for besides the secondary last year defensively was we weren't getting enough pressure on opposing quarterback. Um, we'll get, finishes with three sacks. My guy Monty Montgomery has two of them. He finishes with three tackles for a loss. I, I I'll, I'll just start there. I love Monty Montgomery. Like, I oh was, yeah, he was my predicted defensive player of the game like 20 times last year, and he kind of let me down a few times. But he came with a lot of hype. He was the defensive player of the year in the conference from uh, where the last chance you the, the Kansas seasons played. Like, it's a really good league. You knew he had some solid credentials coming in. He's just a big play machine. Dorian Etheridge was rock solid, but Monty Montgomery and I think Rajay Burns were the two guys I pointed to. Is like it was a perfect starting note for them to have big time seasons. Who impressed you on that side of the ball? Well, the thing that jumped out at me was um, our D line just looks bigger. I'm Jared Goldwire is yeah. a monster. It feels like compared to last year and Yaya Diaby. Um, probably the last guy on the team I'd want to fuck with. Um, I mean, he looked, he looked huge, but, uh, I mean, to, to be honest, I thought the defense played really solid. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Rajay got beat on that long pass, but it was nice to see Russ Yeast, uh, come in, especially off that injury, make a big play. Um, but yeah, I mean, the linebackers, I think with Etheridge and Avery, I think they're going to be a strong point for us. You know, I think just as the season goes along, I, 
I think it's going to come down to our D line. And like you said, you know, can they pressure the quarterback? Cause I, I, I do have faith in our secondary, but it, it would be nice not to have to cover receivers for too long. I think we're going to see a similar quarterback, um, you know, to what we saw from Western when we play Miami. So someone that can kind of, you know, scoot around with their legs to get first downs if they need to. So yeah, I mean, I, I was happy with their overall performance. I don't know how you couldn't be. Um, and we'll see how they, you know, keep progressing going forward. Yeah, there were uh, multiple guys out there who, and maybe it was just, you know, I haven't seen them in a while or, or whatever, but who looked noticeably bigger than they were a year ago. The other guy that everybody was talking about, Chandler Jones, they showed that close-up of him with an arm that looked like it was about 15 of my arms. I was like, did he, has he always look like that? Like, he looked like a little... Uh, who was the um, Michael Dyer? He, he looked like a little Michael Dyer. I was like, Jesus Christ, this guy's jacked. But uh, everybody on the defensive side of the ball looked bigger. They played uh, pretty well. Bigger test coming up this weekend against Miami. You mentioned uh, their quarterback, Derek King, the transfer from Houston, who is – similar skill set to Terrell Pigram. I think he's a lot better. I think he's going to be more of a test. And Miami ran the ball really, really well against a UAB team and has a pretty solid defense. So that's going to be a big-time test. Before we move on to that Miami game – and we'll talk more. We, I, I promise we're going to do two podcasts a week. We're going to hold true to that promise. Uh, Keith's going to come on either tomorrow or Friday, and we're going to preview the Miami game a little bit more. But before we get into that, just overall broad question here. Louisville wins this game by two touchdowns. Do you feel better about the rest of the year based on this performance, worse about the rest of the year, or do you kind of hold true to your preseason thoughts? I would say I hold true. Um, I, I think me and you, we, we, we like to send each other score predictions before the game. Um, I said it was going to be 35-21, so it was fairly close. Well, that's uh, the exact score, Dan. Or excuse me, I said 35-27. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I, <laughs> my bad there. But it's pretty um, close. It's very yeah, humble. No, I, I did, yeah, I would, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I do think that I, I saw things that um, you know could be a, 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 a basically. A good thing going forward, especially our offense with the weapons they have. The defense, although they, I mean, I'm not saying they didn't play well. I think they played really well. Um, I, I'm interested to see against better competition how they hold up. So I'm going to keep my, you know, kind of seven to eight win prediction where it's at. Yeah, I think I said 38-17. Easily, like we talked about a couple of times, it could have easily been a game where Louisville won by a little bit more. But we both predicted Louisville would cover the spread. They did that. I mean, I, I think that like all the good things that you thought about this team going into the game, you feel the same about. I mean, the, the offense should be dynamic. Mikhail looked really good. The receivers looked great. Uh, you didn't even get like a big-time JV and Hawkins performance, but you know he's going to be solid. The offensive line was certainly good enough. Defensively, you were hoping for improvements uh, with the consistency with the defensive staff for the first time in you know 15 decades or whatever it's been. They looked better, but you were worried about the special teams, and I think you're certainly still worried about the special teams after that night. You were a little bit worried about the the new tackles on the offensive line. You're probably still a little bit worried about that. But it, again, in fairness, they went up against two really good defensive ends and maybe the best defensive end they'll see all year in D'Angelo Malone. And it's not like those that, that WKU front seven just wrecked you. They just had a couple of plays where they got solid push. So I'm kind of I, – I think we'll know more. Obviously, these next two weeks, you've got a couple of tough games. Miami's going to be tough on Saturday at Pitt in a couple of weeks is going to be tough too. If you make it, if we get to three and zero at that point, I think that's when you start 
thinking crazy thoughts. You start thinking about, you know, can this team get in the top two and play for an ACC title? Um, all that good stuff. They're going to keep rising in the rankings, but we don't want to get too much ahead of ourselves. So let's talk briefly here about um, this weekend. And it, it, it's it feels normal. Like we've got the cool weather. I don't know how it is in Columbus, but we've got the cooler weather here in Louisville. It feels like fall for the first time uh, all year. We've got college game day coming to town remotely. We've got the primetime game now, 730 ABC. I, I I'm really, really excited. It still feels a little bit weird, but it finally feels like we've got this big-time sporting event we can wrap our arms around and get really excited about. And I think the game's going to be fantastic, too. I mean, what's your just overall general excitement level right now about everything that's going to happen these next four days? I mean, every time – if if you have college game day coming, obviously it's a big deal. It's a shame that, you know, it's coming during a time where um, – you know, coronavirus is going on and, and fans are, are going to be limited in the stadium. So you're not going to get that same atmosphere. But obviously it's it's a primetime game. It's Miami. We've had um, some some great battles with them. Some of our favorite games um, as football fans have been against Miami. So obviously I'm excited. They're an easy team to hate. Um, and I think it's going to be like, yeah, I mean, just (laughs) like the game, the Mario Uredia game, I think was like the most fired up. I've been going into a game and during a U of L game, possibly in my lifetime, one of my, one of the funnest game atmospheres, either football or basketball I've ever been to real quick. If I, if I had a a recording of one phone call (laughs) that I've had in my entire life, it might be the recording that I had with you before that game because you were in the stands i wasn't and you were like like all of a sudden i hear like a ruckus and you're like they're stomping on the fucking bird <laughs> you're like i'm going down there like I swear line that you were going to get into the middle of the fight and go on the field but really- i was yeah i was so juiced up at that point i literally thought i was on the team <laughs> you're like, i gotta get down there i'll call you back i was like is danny going on the field like what's happening right there and then it wound up being just one of the most famous ass kickings of uh, the last decade of UofL football or that de- the aught decade of Louisville football. But I kind of forgotten how annoying their fans can be. It, like, like they were so obnoxious last year. Like I posted a, uh, a game day morning picture on Twitter of that picture of Devontae Parker staring down at the Miami dude from the Russell athletic bowl. And like, after they torched us last year, I got like, like 300 responses to that. Like people being like, how, how do you feel now? And all this shit. I'm like, there's no bigger disparity between the way a fan base looks on TV, which is they look lazy, they look unenthusiastic. There's like they, the home crowd's always it's shitty for their home games, and their online contingency, which is just rabid and annoying and overly brazen. And I'm already getting it this week. Like they they are like, un, like undeservedly cocky and just super obnoxious. Like I, I'm really it makes me more excited for this game. Yeah, there's there's a couple universities out there that basically live off their past lore, and Miami is in the top three there. I mean, granted, they, you know, in the 80s, obviously that early 2000s team that had about 20 NFL players, um, you know, rightfully so, they had every reason to brag and boast about their university. But, I mean, since then, I mean, it's really, besides a season here or there, I mean, they have just been an average to below average program. So, you know, the, the you know, 
bragging and the um, stuff that goes along with their fan base. <laughs> kind of, I mean, like you said, it's cocky, but um, that's just kind of who they are as a university. That's who you, you, you kind of think of when you think of Miami. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to get the game going. I think, I think it's a good matchup for us. I really do. Um, luckily, they lost. I know they lost uh, Greg Russo to an opt out. And from yeah. what I hear, he's going to be like a top five NFL pick, one of the better yeah. defensive ends coming out. So we got lucky in that sense. But I'm uh, I'm ready to get the game going like, you know, right now. It's a weird game to, to analyze. And again, we're going to do a little bit more on the next podcast. But if you want to look too deeply into what happened between these two teams a year ago, it's probably not the right thing to do because you know, Miami blows out Louisville 52-27. Jaron Williams throws a school record, seven touchdown passes. And then after that game, you know, Louisville plays pretty well, finishes its season strong. Miami totally shits the bed. They don't win another game. They couldn't score a point against FIU the next week, or they could barely score a point against FIU. Jaron Williams is so bad that he leaves because he knows he's not going to be their starting quarterback again. So all these guys that absolutely lit you up a year ago, they're, they're not really back. So it's weird to kind of point to that and be like, Louisville wants revenge like Miami was so bad after that game they have a a total overhaul and as you mentioned Gregory Rousseau not playing this year he was their biggest defensive threat so it's just kind of it's a strange game to analyze it is going to be fun like getting up watching game day I know there aren't going to be fans there but still it's going to be at Cardinal Stadium they'll be talking about the game a bunch it's the only really like decent game that entire day they're also going to have um, like virtual fans and virtual signs and let's put a challenge out you can submit signs to be put on college game day. If you make a sign that somehow references this podcast, maybe like a quote, go ca like C a and then put <laughs> dumpster Dan and it makes it on TV. We'll give you, we don't have t-shirts. We'll give you something. Uh, I don't think you like my book is outdated now. I can't give you that. Like half the chapters don't even mean anything anymore at this point. It's been three years. We'll find something to send you. If you make it on TV, that's a Car Chronicle podcast, promise. We will send something your way. But I'm just excited to kind of get up, enjoy the day, like spend three hours watching college game day, get hyped, and then uh, you know spend the rest of the day counting down the hours until Louisville-Miami kickoff. It feels kind of like old times. I can't remember the last time we had a game that was this crucial to not just our season and, and the program getting back on its feet, but really to like the overall national, like being nationally relevant, I, I guess is my point. I mean, I know we said this a thousand times, but if you had told us last year when when uh, Scott Satterfield came on as a first year head coach that in week two, we'd have college game day against Miami. Now, granted, the Big Ten hasn't started, um, which the, obviously they just announced today that it sounds like they're going to get started in late October, which God knows what that's going to look like. Um, the SEC hasn't started yet. But I mean, to have this program where it is right now. I mean, what a testament to the coaching staff and, and to Vince Tyra and the, the, you know, the, just the football team overall um, to get to this point. But yeah, I mean, college game day just brings a, a new excitement level. You have the whole day, um, you know, after the show to kind of get ready for the game. And um, it's nice now that like the big tens back, I think every, you know, college football fan is going to be engaged um this weekend even if their teams aren't playing so it's nice to be in the national spotlight and it's obviously great exposure for our program can we make a gentleman's agreement and i say we can the college football playoff selection committee make a gentleman's agreement just to not take anybody from the big 10 like oh god i'd be so happy i, I mean, swear that would be the best have, thing ever 
they have fucked this thing up so entirely, and they're going to fuck it up. Their plan, we're recording this Wednesday morning. The plan just came out, I guess, about an hour before we started here. They're going to play an eight-game schedule, no bye weeks. If a player tests positive for coronavirus, he has to be quarantined for 21 days, which basically means, I mean, that's three games that you're out. If there's if 5% of the team has tested positive, test positive for COVID-19, the entire team has to cease activities. There's no way that they we, – we've already had four postponed games this weekend. I mean, Louisville's got college game day. Its biggest competitors were Virginia, Virginia Tech, and BYU Army. Both those games got postponed because of COVID stuff. Like, there's no way that the Big Ten doesn't somehow completely screw this up to the point where we have, like, two and two Minnesota playing in a bowl game or something. Like, it's just, it's going to be a total disaster, and, you, and there's no excuse for it. If you wanted to play, you could have figured this out a long time ago. It was two weeks ago everybody in the Big Ten was saying – we're not going to revisit this. The decision's final. And then, bam, we're going to play. It's going to be late October. It's just they have completely botched this at every single level. And now they're kind of – they're fucking with the entire landscape of the sport, and I don't like it. So no Big Ten in the playoff. I'll be mad yeah. if they – the, the, the new Big Ten commissioner, Kevin Warren, could not have shit the bed harder on this because what has changed in the three or four weeks, you know, since they decided they weren't going to play? I mean, nothing has changed. Um, obviously, it sounds like they're they're caving in. To, I, I think what happened was they thought everyone was just going to follow their lead since we're the Big Ten and we're not playing football. Um, you know, no one else is going to play either. And <laughs> when when their bluff was called by mostly every other conference besides the you know, the Pac-12, which no one really cares about anyways, um, they kind of went into scramble mode. So, yeah, I think just uh, I'm with you. I would, you know, and I hope my wife's not listening because she's a <laughs> she's a diehard Michigan fan. Um, oh, she does pull for the cards, but she's just always growing up a Michigan fan. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would love to see them get excluded from the playoffs. And it'll be interesting to see if they do get a team in the playoffs how you know if there's a deserving team from maybe the ACC or, or even the SEC um, that didn't get in the argument that they're going to have over this you know kind of shortened eight game season that the Big Ten played so a lot a lot is going to happen over these next you know 10 weeks here and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out if a seven and one Big Ten team gets into the playoff over like a 11 and one ACC team that loses to Clemson in the title game or, or something like that, like a 10 and one team. I'll be furious. Like, oh, I'll fucking rage. Yeah. My favorite aspect of this entire thing though, has been Nebraska throwing its weight around. Like it means anything like, like Nebraska has the most undeserved sense of accomplishment of any fan base in America. I know we kind of talked about it with Miami there, but Nebraska is, I mean, they're what, like the sixth or seventh most relevant team in the Big Ten? And they're acting like they're running the show here. It's the weirdest thing. Like, just throwing their weight around, like, whatever we do goes. Like, get in line behind us, guys. We're leading the way. It's like, you haven't done anything since Tommy Frazier was there in, like, 1998 or whatever that was. It's the it's – the, they're the kid that goes back to high school and goes to the high school football game and is like, there's Mr. Humphreys. He's my favorite team. And, like, nobody remembers them. Like, like they act like they're, like, running the show. Like – I'm gonna go sit in the student section. Like nobody knows who the fuck you are anymore. Go sit down. Shut up. Do, the black shirt defense. Does anybody even do that anymore? You have not done anything since joining this conference besides make the Big Ten championship game one time and lose seventy to thirty to one to thirty one. Wisconsin hung seventy points on you. You should have to quit football when that happens. Like Nebraska, shut the fuck up. Go away forever. 
Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And like the thing was, I actually really like Scott Frost. Like I was like, oh man, he's going to turn that program around. But like, like you said that they, they seem like a very hateable kind of fan base, although they do, they do show up. I'll give them that. Uh, oh yeah. Everyone says it's like one of the best game atmospheres. Um, but yeah, I mean, another, you know, like a Miami, like a, you know, close my ears to my wife, like a Michigan, Nebraska, like people that kind of go off their, their past lore that really haven't done anything lately. Yeah. I mean, the 1990 Trinity football star is still going to show up at every home game. That doesn't make him any less of a loser, but you know, he's, he's going to still be there. He's, he's going to show up every single time. And that's how Nebraska fans kind of are. It's like Tennessee football fans too. Like they're still, they're packing Nalen stadium every single weekend, but they also are packing it with the intention of following a team that's actually good and it's just, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But you've got Rick Barnes, uh, suit up for basketball guys. That, that's your new sport. Uh, we, we, I know we got to cut it here short. Not real short. We've gone for 40 minutes. It feels pretty good. Do you have a Dan in the Dumps for this episode, or are you going to use missing the first quarter as your Dan in the Dumps story? I mean, the fact that I had my, my family up here to visit, and it was kind of obviously based around um, you know my, my wife's birthday and my son's birthday. Uh, I mean, but we really did plan around the U of L game and to have the internet go out and everyone just kind of sitting there, not knowing what to do. And then having to hire a babysitter, um, after I leave dinner. So my parents can come to a patio to watch the game, you know, and keep them out till 1130. It's just, I don't know. You can add it to the list of why my parents, you know, favor my other son over me. Um, obviously, yeah, Colin, Colin is the favorite versus me, but, uh, yeah, I would say that was probably the day in the dumps, um, for this week. But, uh, while I'm on here, it's, it's my son's birthday, Camden, and he's six. So I want to give him a birthday shout out. Um, and obviously happy birthday to my wife from last Saturday. I, I just I love the implication that he's going to be somehow listening to this podcast where we've been saying fuck and shit and everything for the past. <laughs> shout out. Yeah, I'm like, shout out. Shout yeah. out. Like, what am I doing? I, he's he listens to every episode. It's Dick's birthday. He's going to be uh, he's going to be locked into this. So, Cam, happy birthday, man. <laughs> God. God damn it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably should have phrased it different. <laughs> Uh, Weber's daughter, Anna, listens to every episode, had her fourth birthday a couple days ago. Happy birthday, Anna. We love you. I mean, just this podcast for the kids. I guess the perfect way to end. Um, we are going to have another episode this week. Uh, Keith's going to come on. We're going to preview the Miami game. Also, I, I know I, I tweeted this out and I put it on the website, but last week we passed 350,000 total downloads on just, I think, 34 episodes which is outrageous for a, uh, a team-specific college sports podcast. So you guys are the best. If you haven't subscribed yet, uh, please do. You can do so wherever you can find podcasts. And the fact that so many of you are listening to this, which does feel like it's it's recorded you know, inside of a plastic cup, inside of a bathroom, is, is pretty awesome. So thank you guys so much. But uh, Dan, we'll be talking to you again soon. Everybody else, uh, we'll be talking to you in the next couple of days. Until we do, go Cards. <laughs>